I've been praying for us this week. I really have been praying for our minds. I've been praying for your mind. I know that our enemy is, is real and he is after the way you think. Because if he can get you to think a certain way, he don't need to do anything more. Please, he's not doing that. You are. He just needs you to think a certain way and he goes away. He just needs to sow a seed, a thinking thought, and then you act out what you're thinking. So please, please, please guard your thoughts with all diligence. Guard it like your heart. Guard everything that comes in. Scrutinize every thought that comes into your mind. And if that is not in line with the word of God, can you shut it up? So tell yourself, shut up. Like, shut up. Hallelujah. Okay, you, you may not come back next week, praise Jesus. So I want to continue. I want to say to you this morning, I want to, before I start, I want to declare these things over you as I was pondering on the Lord. I want to declare that you are already a new creation, already. He doesn't remake you. He's made you. He's breathed his life in you. He's put his imprint in you. It's called the Holy Spirit. And every day you're being formed into the perfection and the image of Jesus Christ. Your form matters. Everything you go through in your day-to-day walk is creating you to be more like him. Don't take that lightly. Your work, your family, the way you respond and react, your A, Bs and Cs, attitudes, something and something. Oh, wow, smarty pants, ABCs. What is it? Attitude, behavior, and conduct. All this forms a Christ in you, okay? Because you don't need faith in this room. You need faith out there when things come against you, amen? So I've been really praying over your mind this, um, this week that you are already a new creation, and no matter what weapons have been forged, they're going to forge Weapons will forge against you, but the Bible is very clear that it shall not prosper. They'll forge, but they won't prosper. They'll forge. Forging weapons against you is great because they won't prosper in you. All right? Are you okay? I tell you, I'm going to be really fast. It's going to be over in like a while. So again, I warmly welcome you into this house and I ask and continue to ask Holy Spirit to come and just hover and move freely amongst our hearts this morning. So over the past weeks, we've been going over the Nehemiah Challenge. What an awesome book. What an amazing book Nehemiah is. What an amazing, rich book of wisdom and knowledge. And you have been richly blessed from this platform with fruitful seed. Seed. Hallelujah. So I personally uh, have been taking you through what we call the 10 gates in the the book of Nehemiah. Oh, okay. Get out your notebooks, friendly. Come on. Nehemiah 3. And for the sake of everyone, I'm going to quickly recap. Are you okay? So wars surround Jerusalem to what? Protect and keep the enemies out. Gates are there to what? 
let people in. So the right people come in through the gates and we kick the wall up for the wrong people to keep out, right? Each gate has a significant meaning, not just for the times of Nehemiah, but they mean a lot for the body of Christ today, even more so today, even more so today. If you look around us, even more so today. So I want us to just go over quickly the gates. Are we ready? Are you ready, ready? Okay, okay. Where are we going to start? Sheep gate. Why do we start at the sheep gate? Mark, you're confusing me. <laughs> it starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. Okay, he is like a lamb going into the slaughter. In these days in Jerusalem, it's called the what? The lion's gate, because no longer is he coming back as a lamb, but he's coming back roaring lion. He is the lion of Judah. So we're going to get saved and we're on fire for Jesus. Say amen. amen. And then what happens when we get on fire for Jesus? We go to the fish gate. Why do we go to the fish gate? Contention happens here. Why does contention happen at the fish gate? Because it's busy and it's noisy and there's so much noise because they're pulling in the fish from the seas, right? And they bring all the fish because that's the closest gate to all the water and they bring through the fish there. There's going to be contention. But I tell you what, again, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You've just given your heart to Jesus. You've been, you've been on fire and passionate for God. And now you're going to the fish gate because God's called you to be his mouthpiece, not his bum piece. And just sit here, be his mouthpiece, amen. So we have contention at that gate, but it's all good because God is greater. And then after the contention, where do we go? Why do we go to the old gate? Woo-hoo, this, 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 woo <laughs> this is powerful. We go to the old gate because truth is truth. Church don't want to talk about truth because we don't want to offend. Marriage is marriage. We have children within marriage concept because that's what it says. But guess what? God's grace is good. Amen. Okay, are you all right? Okay. So we go to the old gate and we get wise counsel from there. That's where we learn stuff from our elders. And from people around us, we sit at that gate and that's where the teachings happen. And guess what? Because we love Jesus and we're evangelizing and we're getting taught and then all hell breaks loose. Dun, 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 dun. Who wants Jesus this morning? And you're thinking, I don't want it if I'm going down to the valley gate. So life seems to be going downwards when we give our heart to Christ. It kind of looks like the church too. Okay, so anyway, we're going into the valley gate. What happens at this valley gate? Grace and humility. Come on, Mark. Woo! That's the, that's the insurance side. There's grace and humility at that gate. Amen. Who understands that when you go through that gate, there are valleys? What's at the bottom of the valley? Streams. Jesus is in your valley. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Because why? He is with you. Amen. So you're going to go to the valley gate. It's all good. You're safe there. God's with you. I know life sucks, but God's still with you. Oh, can you say that word on the platform? Okay. So anyway, we're going to the valley. And guess what? What happens after the valley? You've got to go do that. Dung, 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 dung. Why are we going to the dung? We're going to clear out all the dung. <laughs> You're going to clear out all the rubbish that you got through the gate or the valley gate. And the best place to take it out is the rubbish gate or the dung gate. It is good when God's cleaning us. 
gosh, we think we're sin so greatly and God's left us and we have this pity. God has not left you. He's cleaning you up, right? And guess what we need after that? We're going upwards now. Christianity, it does get better. And we're going up and we're going where? Fountain Gate. What happens at the Fountain Gate? Resources flow here. Fountain Gate. Holy Spirit. You got to get that Holy Spirit. Amen. And guess what? After Holy Spirit, you go to the... Because you can't go to the water gate without the fountain gate because you need Holy Spirit to teach you the words of God. What is the water gate? Water of God's word. (laughs) Okay, guess what? So we've gone through valleys. We've gone, we've emptied our garbage. We're going to be full with the Holy Ghost and we're going to get the word of God. And guess what happens now? That's why Jesus didn't come on a horse. Horse means warfare. He came on a donkey. He came and humbled himself on a donkey. If he came on a horse riding in Jerusalem, they would have thought that he was coming for war. No, he came to lay down his life. Okay, so we went to the horse gate, and that is what? Warfare. Okay, warfare. Then we're going to go up to the witch gate. What happens at the east gate? Woo-hoo, Mark, you go, Mark. So when you're at the East Gate, what's also important about the East Gate? It is shut according to... Come on, Mark. Yeah, Jesus uses that on Palm Sunday. Only once. <laughs> 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 Let's give Mark a hand. Okay, so the east gate, so the east gate, the important thing about the east gate, Ezekiel says this gate will be locked and it will not happen until Jesus puts his foot where? And then there will be an earthquake and it will divide the land, yeah? So the east gate is what? Uh, It's close to the Mount of Olives. So when Jesus was sitting at the Mount of Olives, he could see directly into the east gate. So anytime Jesus came to Jerusalem, he would always go through that sheep gate, except the day of his what? Yeah. Before the coming, he had to die. So he went through that on a donkey. Amen. Hallelujah. So the east gate, Jesus has come back. It's locked. It's not going to reopen, right? Then we go where? What happens at the inspection gate? Wow. You guys are brilliant. Man, you are good students of God's word. The inspection gate is a place where David would take his troops and he would inspect the armor. God's coming back and he will inspect. Amen. Are we right? Do we understand that? Looks awesome. Got it in our mind. We're sharp students this morning. I did that so... I did that in five minutes. Five more. (laughs) Okay, five more minutes. Right. So today I want to share an important, but a simple but important principle penned inside Nehemiah 3. And you can miss it if we don't stop and take a breath. And this is about the walkers, uh, walkers, the workers who built the wall. Okay? I believe you and I can learn so much from them, the workers. Reading through chapter 3, we'll see many people coming together to accomplish the job, to make sure the wall was rebuilt. Different giftings, diverse people who gathered together for a common good of a people and a nation. They came together. So they had a cause, and this cause was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates were burnt. We understand that? 
We understand that. Um, so Nehemiah needed everybody. He needed a team. He needed a whole team. In today's language, we call it what? Teamwork? Yep. Jesus described teamwork as this. I found it in the Bible. Many members, yet one body. That sounds like teamwork. Got it? So if the walls and gates were going to be rebuilt, then everybody had to pay their part. And by this, we see the picture of how the church must and should start to operate. Now, when I say the church, I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about the body of Christ, the global church, the whole body of Christ, working together in their parts of the war to ensure that the whole war is built well. Are we okay? Okay. I believe that the church grows faster. And I'm not talking about you and I. I'm talking about the body, faster and healthier if we work as a team. We are a team rebuilding God's kingdom. And this is the vehicle in which we do it through Hills and Seed. And if you're at, a, at any other church, Discovery, or any, that, is the, that is your tool or your vehicle in which God uses. So God works as a team. I want to make this clear. God is Trinity. Trinity is a team. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus worked as a team. Jesus used all kinds of people as a team. You think your life is bad? Be a prostitute. He used them. He used tax collectors. He used fishermen. He used children. He used women. He used rich. He used poor. He used loud mouths. He used not loud mouths. He used tall people. He used short people that climbed trees. I have hope. I have hope. So for this war to be built, teamwork was the fuel to allow common people to produce uncommon results. Common people. Common people. First Peter 4, one of my favorite scriptures, it says this. Can we read it together, please? If anyone speaks, okay, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the orators of God. If anyone ministers, let him do so. Um, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all th- that in all things God may in all your things God may glory be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You and I need to notice that each one of us have received a gift. Someone say a gift. And each one of these gifts need to be stewarded really, really well. Do you realize your gift isn't for the church? (laughs) Your gift is for your neighbor, for your street, for your community, for your family. That is what your gift is used for. And the church gets to overflow. Whoa, okay. So what has God given you and I to steward? If we look really deep in our hearts, what gift has he given you? You, uh, you may be surprised at some of the people that, that Nehemiah used through this time. You may think that, that you don't have much gift at all. But I want to share a story about a man in a Nehemiah 3.8. And I want that up just quickly. Because you may think, well, I don't have much of a gift. I can't minister. I can't do this. I can't do that. No, listen to this. Can we read this together? Let's go. Next. Next. 
made repairs. So Nehemiah used a perfume person. I am a perfume person. I've got lots of perfume. But Nehemiah used a perfume person or perfumer by trade to build the, the gates or to build the wall. So now if he can use a perfume, perf, perfume person, then I believe that he can use anyone. Yeah. We've all got a gift. We've all got gifts. What are those gifts? For today, I just want to highlight one thing, and it's going to be really quick, I promise. This is a principle that is very dear to my heart, that rebuilding starts at the home. Rebuilding starts at the home. Let's read a few verses just to back up, just to think you think I'm making this up. Verse 10, 23 and 30. Let's read this together. Verse 10. In front of his house. Okay. Verse 23, no, verse 23, thank you. And after him. One of the things that this chapter reveals is that often the workers begin rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem in front of their home or around their own homes. Let me say this, friends. Christian service begins at the home, not in the church. You're in the wrong house if you think that is how this house operates. I don't want you to leave, but I'm just saying you're in the... I'm just saying we need to get our thinking right. Amen? If we can't serve the Lord in our home, we won't be able to serve the Lord anywhere else. Now, it isn't that these men didn't think about the whole war. They knew that collectively they had to combine their efforts to build the big vision. But individually, they still needed to make sure that their home had a solid wall of protection surrounding their home. So for this principle, I want to invite us to go back to the old gate. Okay? For this principle. Genesis 2.18 says this. And the Lord said, so this is the Lord. It is not good for that for good that man shall be alone. What man? And we all understand that. Someone that's already working. So if you're not working, you'll probably be alone because you need a job to pay for your wife. Oh, okay. No, different subject. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It is not good. Sorry, sorry. It is not good for that man should be alone. I will make him a helper compatible to him. We understand the word helper means the same as Holy Spirit. Okay. So your wife is like your Holy Spirit. 
When she tells you to slow down, she's telling you to slow down because she knows what's before you. A policeman. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) So when we got a ticket last week, Holy Spirit was in the car telling him to slow down because was coming behind us. And then he thought that he was God, and he was going to say to the Mr. Policeman that, how can I be going fast? Because Holy Spirit's sitting in the car telling you you're going fast. So don't say that to that man. Just saying, I've got the mic. Okay, but anyway, he says, and the Lord said, it is not good for that man that he should be alone. I will make him a helper compatible with him. I want to point this out. Verse 18, and God said, this is God talking. He is the one that establishes marriage and families. And he says, I will make. Not you, God will make. So I say, God will make. So he is the divine institution that is set on God. Friends, the church is as strong as the families. Thank you, Jemima. The church is as strong as our families. And when our families isn't built right, sadly, cracks start to appear in all our lives. We become unhappy at work, unhappy at church, unhappy at our relationships, unhappy at countdown because they haven't got what you want. We become very unhappy. And because, because the family is not in alignment, if our lives is all about, sorry, I want to say this, that we must build within our house first before we build anywhere else. Our first ministry is family. Our first school for our kids, family. Our first evangelistic crusade. Our first churches. Our first model is, so why are you blaming the church? Oh, sorry, that was for another sermon. And this is what God uses in the Bible. He uses an example of how relationships should be within the body of Christ. Because what it looks like in our family should be what it looks like here. Guess what, family? You're going to argue at home. Praise Jesus. You're going to argue in church. Praise Jesus. But you don't divorce your family. You don't throw them out. You don't get mad and walk away. Well, you shouldn't. All right? Hebrews 11 is known as the great faith chapter. We know it. It is known this. It's a faith hall of fame because it lists men and women of God that did great things by faith. Noah was one of those men. You know Noah? Man, he would have been sacked if he was a today's pastor. He didn't save many people but his own family. Like, imagine going up against your board and they're going, how many people have you saved for Jesus? And you go, oh, only seven. Oh, you're sacked. For 120 years, that's all he saved, just his family. If that was a modern-day pastor, you'll be out of a job. Correct. It says, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of these things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for saving of his household. Noah was a man of faith that God appointed. And he was commended for responding by faith that expressed itself through building an ark to save his family. We need this today. Oh. They were evil in the world and God decided to start over. And he doesn't start over with one man. He starts over with a family. We need this today. 
We need this type of model today. If you and I look around at society, and society is a mess, it looks like, if we go deeper, families. Society is a mess because families are a mess. The question you and I need to ask ourselves and always reflect on is, am I building my family in a way that is keeping them safe and keeping them saved? Does my home, this is my question for me, reflect that which God has ordained? Does that mean that your home is going to be perfect? No, come to my house and you'll know. Okay, my children, shush. Does my home reflect that which God has ordained? What can I do today to build my home? What can I do today to build my home? God started with Nehemiah. I mean, God started with Noah. God started with a family, restarted creation with a family. God began creation with a family. Man of God, your family is the most important part of life. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. So how did Christ love the church? He laid his life down. Husband, you are trying to elevate yourself, but the Bible says lay it down. We need to rebuild our families this morning. I want to encourage us that as we go deeper into Nehemiah, that each one of us search our own hearts for our own selves. Don't you go into your neighbor's business. Look at your own self and go, how can I do better for my family? What do I need to do for my family this morning? Amen? Amen. Half past 11. God bless you. You may be upstanding.